Okay, so hi Rich, thank you very much for speaking to me today. Um, so I think I, we first came across each other through a mutual friend, Phoebe Tickle, uh, who... I think uh, Phoebe Tickle might, might be mutual friends of just about every interesting person on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel that also, yeah. And, but, and, and anyway, she was, she was right. We certainly have some interesting things in common. Uh, and we had a video call just to kind of connect and, uh, and share what was interesting to us. Uh, maybe, what, a month? Maybe a couple of months ago now? Yeah, and um, from my point of view, I, was, I really enjoyed that and I uh, was very inspired by the kind of things that you're up to. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to start by asking you just to give us a brief background uh, on uh, yeah, your, your journey to this point of uh, coming to work with Lumio and the Harmon and Spiral. Uh, and then maybe after that, we'll go into a bit more of what you're doing with the Hum right now. So over to you. Sure. I'll try and reel it in because I know I love to do the long introduction. I want to like fit all of the context all in, but <laughs> I'll try and be parsimonious. So, well, the accent you're hearing, I'm from New Zealand. I grew up there and I was really um, quite committed to the place for a long time. And it's only been the last 18 months really that I've been uh, in a nomad mode, disconnected from that local place. Um, I started engineering and uh, when I got out into the into the workforce, I found just like an utter lack of of purpose. Like I know how to do things with electrons and satellites and computers, but um, I really didn't know what I could do that was useful with those skills. And um, eventually, you know, after a long, uh, quite disorganized journey for a few years of, of uh, wandering around trying to understand like what's a meaningful job that I can do. Eventually I found my way around to Inspiral and there I found a community of people that were committed to this idea that work should be purposeful, you know, that it's not just about producing stuff or selling services, but also about um, repairing some of the harm we've done to the planet or growing as an individual or, um, yeah, supporting each other to, to become better versions of ourselves. And that, I mean, that was quite extraordinary to discover that it wasn't just, well, it's not just me. It's not just one person who has this idea that work should be purposeful, but actually there's there's lots of us. Like at the moment, I think there's something like maybe 250 people at Inspiral. And, mm. and it's really one of the reasons I do a long introduction is because Inspiral is quite complex. It's quite hard to understand. It's, it's many different things to many different people. Um, probably the simplest little picture you can have in your head is a network of purpose-driven self-managing companies and mm -hmm. all of these companies are doing lots of different things and so my um, original involvement with Inspiral was with this company that we started called Lumio and that's um, short version again that comes this comes from my experience with the Occupy movement so Occupy was my first taste of collective decision making sitting in circles listening to people trying to trying to do consensus and that experience was super profound. That really opened my eyes. Uh, I felt like I broke through a few layers there. <laughs> and um, and at the same time, it was crushing and frustrating because consensus meetings are often quite horrible. So that was really that, that tension is where Lumio came from. Um, it's a software platform for collective decision-making. And the idea is you can include people in decisions, but not always have to spend all of your life in meetings. It's pretty simple and straightforward. I mean, I'm happy to go and talk more detail about the software. Um, but after a few years of, of working on the software platform and, uh, you know, having some moderate success, there's a few thousands of groups that, are, that rely on this tool as part of their day-to-day -day operation. Um, last year, really, I started to get intrigued by this question of, like, well, I, I have this vision of quite a different kind of society, like, not just that we we're, we're all working on stuff that's meaningful to us, but also like the how, the way that we work together, the, the structure of our organizations. Uh, I have a vision of a much more decentralized, creative, dynamic, fluid, um, engaging. Yeah, there's lots of different flavors, a part of this vision, but a way of working that's quite different from most organizations and institutions that you encounter today. And last year, I really started to wonder, like, what, besides the software that we're building, which I think helps with that, like, besides software, what else 
do people struggle with when they try and decentralize their organizations? Like if we're trying to have shared ownership and shared leadership and trying to organize in a more collaborative, less competitive way, what do people struggle with? And so my partner, Nati, and I decided to hit the road, travel all over the place from you know East Asia, North and South America, and now we're spending lots of time in Europe and, and visiting all sorts of different groups that, that have some of these aspirations about a different way of working. And just, yeah, try and understand, like, what are these, what are the challenges they face and uh, how do you address them? Like, what, what are the common failure patterns and, and what are some structural solutions or some, some, some ideas or some ways of thinking or some techniques that you can use to overcome these tricky parts of working with humans? So that's the hum. This, this now has turned into a, its, own little, its own little brand, its own little consulting company that we say we do practical guidance for decentralized organizations. And mostly, have you been doing workshops in these different countries around the world then, or you've been actually speaking to specific companies? What's the kind of major activity that the Hum is engaged with? Um, the workshop, we often will do a public workshop in a city as a way to announce ourselves and get to know people. Um, so we say, inspiral has been around long enough that there's quite a few people know something about it they're, they're kind of interested in it so we say oh we come from inspiral and we're going to share some lessons and that usually brings <laughs> out some interesting people um so that that's like our first entry into a new place and then usually we'll find from that like a couple of either you know unique people that have a a, a, a deep shared interest and in, in alignment with what we're doing or we find a company that's that's um got some ambitions that we can support. So we drop down to that second layer, which is a more intimate connection and, and more um, more sustained engagement with them. So like um, moving from this kind of like half day or one day workshop into more like a three day or a four day retreat where you can really get deep into mm -hmm. the interpersonal dynamics and, and, and have it, yeah, an ongoing relationship. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious to hear, uh, both what what you've learned from spending uh, this this last eighteen months on the road with the hum, and also what you think are the maybe the things that uh, that the people are learning, or maybe the things that are most surprising, most new to people that they go, wow, like I haven't really thought of that, and that's really cool, and you know, we need to look more at this seriously. Mm. So, in, in whichever order you prefer, there. I think for me, the lesson coming through, because like I said, I, I have an engineering background, and then. You know, I co-founded a software company. So I, I am prone to this kind of techno-determinist. Um, if we just build the right structure, then, um, you know, there's this, there's this great Gandhi quote, which I can't remember word for word, but he says basically something like, we're, you know, we're obsessed with trying to design structures where nobody even needs to be good anymore. You know, like if we had, the, mm. if, if we had such a great structure, then, then we wouldn't have to deal with the fact that um, some people have <laughs> negative intentions or something like this. I, I, I can't, I'm kind of prone to that way of thinking. And um, over the last 18 months, I've really had a long, slow transition to be less and less about structure and technology and more about these these more subtle elements of, of what people are like and how they relate to each other. And, and um, I guess part of this is just going away from home and getting a greater appreciation for what it is, you know, like, there's a reason that Inspiral is based in New Zealand and uh, and not somewhere else. You know, like there's, there there are some unique qualities about that society and about that geography that are influence the way that people relate to each other. And that stuff is much more subtle and, and much less um, portable compared to say, oh yeah, there's this piece of technology that we use or that we design. Uh, mm -hmm. So I've been just been drawn more and more into this stuff and especially in the last couple of months, it's, it's really come to a sharp point of focus on uh, like self-development and, and therapeutic relationships. And I don't mean like therapy in the formal sense, but in the sense of, you know, tender, compassionate, intimate, vulnerable relationships where people soften into each other and, and do some kind of healing and growth process mm -hmm. like that that work is just is just so um front of mind for me now and as you can tell that's quite a way away from engineering satellite networks or building software for decision making <laughs> yeah i mean I've, we, 
I've maybe gone on a bit of a similar journey that uh, I studied physics and complexity sciences. I also have that technical background and then was involved with the climate movement and the anti-austerity movement, including Occupy in the UK. Uh, And now I've ended up working mostly with uh, in the world of psychedelics Um, from uh, this perspective that maybe what's required most of all right now is the the healing and the growth of the individual and this focus on uh on being good to one another loving each other mm. and it's uh actually i think having that um that technical background uh is uh, well I'm, I'm i'm exceptionally grateful for it i think it maybe gives me us uh uh you know real breadth of of perspective yeah how you've just phrased it that you uh, are now focusing on simply helping people to understand you know, how to relate to one another. Uh, sounds something like, you know, coaching, if you like, or uh, as, as elements of being a, a kind of spiritual teacher. I think of it like I often come back to musical metaphors. Like my, I have a musical background as well. And, um, uh, the best for me, the best way to learn a song is for someone to give you like the words and maybe the music written down, but for them to sing and invite you to sing along, you know, there's this, I felt, I felt the same with, um, when I learned about meditation, I found it easiest to learn meditation when I was in the presence of people who were just really good at meditating. And I it kind of, it's like they set the rhythm or they carried the tune and then I could sing along with them. And it wouldn't matter if I dropped the beat for a little while because they're keeping it strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that that metaphor feels quite close to even like what we're doing with our workshops. Part of it is, okay, here are some new ideas. Here's some concepts. Here's some exercises we're going to take you through. But there's two of us, you know, it's Nutty and I. And the mm. way that we the way that we share the space and the way that we relate to each other and to the people in the room, we're quite intentionally demonstrating certain behaviors with the intention that other people start picking them up, you know, that it's yeah. like we're, we're singing from the song sheet and we, we invite you to sing along. Yeah. I, I was just going to come onto that and ask you how, uh, or I'll say that I have this sense that it's, uh, this partnership with Natty is, is very important to what you're doing right now. And maybe you can say a little bit more about that. Uh, and that, hmm, I mean, could you, could you be doing this work alone or, uh, or, you know, how would this, to what extent does this work actually is the basis of this work, that relationship? Um, if I start with a different relationship, maybe to bring us over to there. So um, I don't know if you're familiar with this idea of pair programming. Like we, we have two people working on a programming problem together. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, when I got introduced to that, the way that I, I, I felt like, when I am programming on my own, and I have to discla- put the disclaimer that I'm a terrible programmer at the best of times, but I still have some some basic skills. When I go programming on my own, I, it's really I often go down a rabbit hole and start following. I'll just go down this like whole chain of problem solving that's interesting to me, but not relevant to anything outside of myself. Like I get lost down this black hole of just yeah. like, oh, this is interesting, or like just yeah, chewing away on some problem, and then in Pair programming, working with another person, um, having to stay in constant communication with them. It's like it's prevented me from falling down the black hole. And instead, I have this image of like a binary star, you know, like these two stars orbiting around mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. And there's a center of gravity there. But and you just somehow um, you stay in the realm of communication and relationship and humanity and don't get completely lost down just solving these interesting abstract problems. Mm-hmm. I think I think maybe my relationship with Nati is a little bit like that. Like if, mm-hmm. say, can I do this work on my own? Well, in a way I can, but the work that I'd be doing would be much more obscure and it would be deeper in some sense, but also much less likely to be relevant to anyone outside <laughs> of me. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, the other thing is there's, Nati and I have very complementary strengths. You know, she, she um, when, I, when I talk about, um, singing a particular way of being and other people singing along like she she's the she's the song leader that i'm that i'm learning from all the time when it comes to mm. presence uh compassion self-awareness 
um, intimacy, all that stuff. Like, uh, yeah, she's my main template that I'm copying from. Like, I, I don't. Um, uh, there's not many other role models I have on that to that to that depth, I guess. And and then on the other hand, like I've yeah, I've got this this technical side, and also this um, you know this this trait which on my good day looks like confidence, and on my bad day looks like arrogance. I've got that in a way that <laughs> that she doesn't have either. And so these two these two halves they fit together very very snugly. Yeah. Um, the, what- yeah. The the the, fr- the frame that it reminds me of it is is tantra actually. Um, I don't know, or at least what is is increasingly called or tantra neo tantra Western tantra. Um, and just a few weeks ago, I was at the Angsbacher Tantra Festival, mm. uh, where a lot of the the workshops there are taught by by couples that that yeah absolutely have this kind of sense of complementarity. And uh, I wonder what you're doing, whether what you're doing is like Tantra for organizations. Uh, <laughs> are, you, are you familiar with, with the kind of Tantra frame and scene? Is, does that speak to you at all? Uh, no, I'm not familiar. I think, um, I guess another relevant part, you see, one of the reasons I do the log introduction is so you know everything about me. Um, one of the, in the longer version, one of the aspects of myself that I would introduce is that I was raised in this um, very fundamentalist Christian church. and uh it's hard yeah it's hard to encapsulate in a short phrase but it has left a lot of bruises on my psychology so i'm really sensitive to uh any any kind of spirituality religion any kind of power dynamics where um an individual is giving up some of themselves in in service of a collective like there's all these parts because of that um church upbringing that have made me quite reactive to all sorts of things so like I see Tantra or yoga or something like that. And, I'm like, and there's part of me that just kind of clenches and is like, Ooh, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not, yeah, it's not, um, it's not like a quality. It's not something that I celebrate about myself, but it's something I am aware of and kind of accept. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. So let's move on a little bit then to um, talking about uh, reinventing organizations. Mm. And this is uh I've just finished this book and really got a lot out of it. And you've read it probably a little while ago now. Yeah. Um, and I think from your the comment that you left, it it had an influence on on you also. Um, and I will post the, a link to the the Facebook post so people can you know if they like uh, read that and check out the discussion in the show notes. Um, but reinventing organizations is based on this idea that organizations can be classified according to stages of human cultural development that in the spirit of integral theorists are uh, given colors so red amber uh, orange green teal and teal representing this most modern stage of, of human cultural development and the reinvented organizations goes into looking what uh, what what is a teal organization, what it means to be a teal organization. Um, and uh, I was, yeah, this, one of the reasons this book really spoke to me is because not so long before I'd uh, read the listening society, which is based on this similar developmental perspective. And I'm finding, I'm finding this perspective really very useful. It's really helping me uh, just understand a lot of things and, and feel better about a, a lot of things that previously were making me feel kind of like strange or uncomfortable. Or I, I couldn't quite place, didn't quite understand what was going on there. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious for your perspective on the developmental perspective um, as featured in both Reinventing Organizations and the Listening Society. When I first read Reinventing Organizations, I was so frustrated with the developmental stages. And, and I felt like um, the value that I got from that book was there's a bunch of case studies, which even I think don't really, for me, they didn't give me that much detail. Um, but they did, what they did say was there are many different large organizations in different sectors that are successfully self-managing at scale and they are performing, they're high performing. Um, mm. I was really delighted with that, like just to have that, confirmation or you might call it confirmation bias in my case um and and i was really delighted that there was this suddenly there was this hashtag you know this this um nucleus this word called teal which uh, even devoid of all of its context just to have a label that 
means I can, you know, I can go, um, if I, t- if I, if I jump onto to Google right now and I type, you know, teal startups Berlin, <laughs> I will find yeah. the interesting yeah. people that I want to meet in Berlin. You know, that, that is a real, <laughs> that is actually a major contribution because, um, yeah, I find it's, it's hard to find a name for, it's like we don't have an, a name for our collective identity, whoever we are, you know, like there's, there's a lot of people working in many different sectors that have many different ways of identifying that have some really shared values and shared experiences. And, and Teal is kind of an, an umbrella that has, that covers quite a lot of it. Like it still leaves mm-hmm. a lot of people outside, but it really, it really encompassed quite a lot of people. So I really love that. But yeah, like I said, I was really distracted by the developmental stages and I still think, so I read, I've gone in the reverse direction. I read the Listening Society in the last month or so, and that's the first time where someone has presented a, you know, linear developmental stage theory, and given it enough disclaimers that I could actually <laughs> shut up and listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my my internal kind of cringe and clench has relaxed a little bit. I'm like, okay, mm. okay, this is you know, like, for, I think a big part of it is. Um, that I had with the listening society, which I didn't have with reinventing organizations is this acknowledgement that this, this set of stages is just a helpful way of thinking that you can put on. Sometimes it doesn't actually describe reality in some essential way. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. this is a frame that you can use to diagnose things and uh, just don't get it confused with reality. You know, reality is going to be infinitely more subtle and complex than this, but this is a useful um, heuristic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I mean I I had that same uh, you know, allergy to when yeah. I first to the developmental perspective when I first read listening the listening society actually so um, yeah it, it it can be very challenging especially for people who are coming from uh, the you know the kind of consensus decision making world where with a strong focus on um, equality as a value and so on yeah uh, I think I mean that this. Uh, it's it, it's a, 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 an absolutely crucial part of it for me is to say people are at different you know, or cultures, whatever, at different developmental stages does not mean, does absolutely not mean that one person is better than another or one culture is better than another. It, re- it really just means they're different. And to I, th- I think without that, uh, the whole thing can go in a very weird direction and and actually the kind of integral community more focused on um, Ken Wilber's thought that has been around for 30, 40 years uh, you know, hasn't really taken off um, because I think that that perspective wasn't deeply embedded enough and there seems to be a lot of arrogance and, and hubris and I think that well with the work of this, um, Meta Moderna and Listening Society we've kind of got another chance to take what is good about this uh, this way of thinking and I think there is a lot of good in it we in a way which is altogether more humble and more mm. playful um, so yeah we'll, I think we'll, we'll, see, we'll, we'll see whether we do any better this time around yeah I think there's a couple of different you know I, th- I love the word allergy I think there's a couple of different strands for me to the allergy. One is, like you say, there's a kind of um, it invites a kind of elitism. Like, aha, we are at the latest stage. We are the we, we're at, we're the best. We're the highest or the, the most advanced or something. It invites that, but it, it also invites us into um, getting lost in abstractions and losing sight of uh, just our. Our common sense, you know, our, our direct experience, uh, um, what it's like to be a human, or whatever. Yeah, like it's really easy once you start learning about these developmental theories. Then you start comparing, like, ah, yes, Wilbur says this, and Lalu says that, and you know, this person, and you and you get further and further and further away from just the practical lived experience. Yeah. And and I get lost really, really quickly. Yeah. So I think I, I, actually this is something which I've um, contemplated, felt over the past months as well, and was kind of the uh, the motivation for uh, coming up with this idea of the uh, the meta monastery mm. and uh, an actual uh, you know a, a place where people could not only engage in this kind of thinking and conversation, but could <laughs> could feel what it's like to live in community and to uh, to keep up a healthy routine of eating well and meditating mm. and you know and, and and taking care of one's body and so on and this uh, uh, this idea has actually been sort of picked up and in some form and uh, it's it seems like something 
something like the Metal Monastery uh, will uh, is coming into being over the coming months. Uh, there's some initial details about it on the Meta Moderna list, and I think yeah, I, I agree with you that um, that the, the grounding this um, this thinking in well, in the body, actually, yeah. um, is, is, is essential to it, it going any further or, or it's, it's becoming any, uh, or, or really showing its full utility. I, th- um, I think I want to always be in conversations that are accessible. You know, that, that I really, I really hate it when you're in a conversation that, um, this often, ha- this often happens with technology. So we'll be in a group, we're working with an organization, and suddenly we get lost in the details of one particular technology. And the whole, uh, you know, half the room will disqualify themselves from that conversation because they're like, oh, I don't understand technology. Or in this case, maybe I don't understand these abstractions. And when people self-disqualify, where they, where they have this, for some reason, they get the sense like, oh, my insights and, and wisdom are not valid here or they're, they're, there's no room for me here. Like, yeah, I, that's what I'm resistant against. Yeah. So, um, so with those uh, with those disclaimers, and I think they're yeah. important and useful. Um, uh, I just want to play with this idea that uh, that Lumio uh, may represent a, a kind of technological pinnacle of green, or, you know, postmodern uh, organizing. Mm. Um, and this is only a kind of thought that's come to me in the past few days. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious for your thoughts on it. Lumio, of course, you know. You, it, it came out very explicitly of the Occupy movement, which has this heavy uh, you know, emphasis on consensus. Yeah, and um, I'm yeah, I'm curious for. Um, I mean, maybe one way into this is w- what kind of organisations are using Lumio, uh, you know, especially in the context of the this developmental model. Uh, are, are they green? Are they too? Or you know, maybe there's still maybe there are uh, orange or other organisations using it. What's your take on that? Uh, for better and for worse, a really wide range of organizations are using Lumio. You know, it's it's yeah. um, it's really hard to summarize in in a in a soundbite who they are. Like, it seems to be a, the closest I can say is that people that that care about deliberation use it. So, mm-hmm. um, some of them definitely they are orange. You know, if you're going to put them against that metric, like um, there's quite a few now, like city governments that are using it for engaging with citizens and it's really just a consultation platform for them um and maybe uh, maybe they're using it because of their aspirations to be more collaborative and co-creative um and it has somehow lumio has those associations and and so they're reaching to go a little further than just consultation Mm -hmm. but that's really what they're doing with it and then certainly there's a lot of these green organizations so um cooperatives that have you know a very explicit part of their identity is about uh, having member in, member engagement and policy making or grant making and these sorts of things, um, and you also have uh, what you can call teal organisations using it extensively as well. And and you know the the golden <laughs> the the pinnacle use for me for Lumio is is the Inspiral Network, and that to me is yeah. a very fertile ground of uh, mm. organisational experimentation. And I guess there's a there's quite a lag between, I mean, if uh, Lumio is obviously more than just me. There's a whole team of us. But if you just look at me and my own personal understanding of how groups work, how organizations work, what role decision-making plays in that, what role technology plays in that, my understanding is quite a few years ahead of where the software is. You know, like it, it takes quite a long time to crystallize that. Um, mm-hmm. And when it's just abstract in my head, I can actually reach quite a lot further than when I have to turn it into software that then makes sense to other humans. Um, And so, like, I can imagine where Lumio is going. And it's, um, there's this really lovely, uh, I don't even know what label to give him, like a, maybe like a co-ops researcher and activist, Doug Webb, who's just given this talk recently called um, Post-Consensus Cooperative Decision-Making. And that just that phrase post consensus like it right, really right. nails something for me that like the to me it gets at like there's something valuable about consensus about taking the time to listen to everyone like really listen to everyone and and try and make something that makes sense to everyone and that everyone if, if it's not their first choice at least they they can all agree like this is the best that we can come up with with the opportunities that we've got 
But then post-consensus is like, do that sometimes, but we can also go further than that. We can also do a lot more um, delegation, creativity, freedom, uh, people operating with much higher levels of trust and less stopping to check and seek permission and negotiate until we all get to agreement. Yeah. So I imagine that's where the, the, the software is going to go more and more in that direction. Yeah, and of course, this is uh, it's, it's pretty clear in reinventing organizations that teal organizations uh, work neither by consensus nor by hierarchy. Uh, Asana, I think, quite you know, cheekily, playfully described the way they work using that platform as distributed dictatorship, um, which is intended to you know like press some buttons, I think, but <laughs> yeah. you know, to, put, to to you know to make people sit up and, and take interest. And um, yeah, I'm I'm fascinated in this area. And, and I mean, do you, and do you have any? Uh, can you tell us anything in particular about the direction in which Lumio is evolving, or any new features that you, you that you're excited about that we may see over the coming months and years? Yeah, um, the. Probably the interesting, well, the part that I'm interested in, the development I'm interested in is is yeah, around this decision-making uh, experience. And and we've always made great efforts to, to make the decision-making method as flexible as possible. So like, like uh, there, there are these many different kinds of organizations that are using it and adapting it and interpreting, you know, like, so for instance, in a Lumio decision, there's no such thing as a pass or a fail. It, it, the software doesn't tell you did is this has this decision passed you know it's like yeah. you have to agree what does it mean when we have 15 people agreeing two people disagreeing and one person blocking for instance like what does that mean you have to you have to decide that for yourselves and so that it means it adapts to many different styles of decision making um but the the, the upcoming developments i think are just going to be a, add a little bit more opinion you know and say here are some different kinds of decision making um methods or protocols that are appropriate for different contexts and and we can just put some bumpers that are going to guide you along a little further so um if you're going for consensus then these are some facilitation tips that will help you turn those disagrees into agrees you know and um and i mean i guess my new favorite example of lumio use is uh you might know this festival uh the borderlands and Uh they have um forked lumio changed basically changed one thing which is instead of raising proposals you're raising rounds of advice so they've taken this advice process from reinventing organizations which is mm. a, a really great example of a post-consensus decision-making method you know it's like and yeah. under advice anyone can take any decision if they first seek the advice of people with expertise and people that are going to be affected and that means yeah. the emphasis is on listening to each other and checking in but it's not on negotiating and, and getting to agreement and so they've adapted Lumio ever so slightly and really successfully, I think, um, running most of that uh, organization through advice process. So that's mm-hmm. an obvious thing that we can bring back into the software and say, hey, there's this thing called the advice process and and uh, we'll have a button called advice instead of a button that says proposal, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean it's, it's, it sounds just absurdly, absurdly simple, doesn't it? But actually the... You know, language uh, can can make a big difference in these things, and um, it might be that it's not so that yeah, that it's not so much about sort of big new tech features, but it's just about tuning some of that stuff, or at least giving people the option to tune some of this stuff. Um, okay, thanks for that. Um, okay, let's take a. We've been speaking for what thirty, yeah, about half an hour now. So let's take a turn and uh, have a chat about Scuttlebutt. Um, so. Maybe you could tell our listeners what Scuttlebutt is to start. Okay. Well, Scuttlebutt is being built by my friends, not by me. So my representation might be a little bit sketchy. But the part that I understand is it's a a gossip protocol. So it, it, it runs as deep as the internet protocol. So it's a way of sharing messages around. And like on the internet, messages can kind of be anything. It could be... Um, you know, your bank balance, or it could be Facebook, or there's lots of different things that messages can be. Um, and it's a gossip protocol, meaning that the messages are shared peer-to-peer, the way that gossip moves in a social network from one person to the next to the next. So um, it's it's quite abstract at that point because you just, you're just talking about a messaging protocol. And it gets interesting when you start to consider the applications that are being built that utilize this protocol. So... Um, one of the first applications that um, has a reasonable critical mass of people using it 
It's called Patchwork. And Patchwork functions quite like a hybrid of Facebook and Twitter. And um, it's, it's like a social network. People, ha- you know, you have friends, you follow each other, you make posts with text and images, and you have discussions. Um, but it's, so that's all very familiar, but it's in a, the, the technology is sufficiently different that it, that it just brings out these, uh, you know that you're in a different place. You know that you're not in the normal web. Um, things like, mm-hmm. because it's all peer-to-peer, it's quite common that you'll be in a conversation thread and um, you'll see a message there that says, there's a comment missing here. We know that there's a, there's a comment here, but you can't read it because um, it's too far outside of your uh, range. of it's, it's not Your friend didn't say it and your friend of friend didn't say it. It's one stage further than that. And so you can't see it. And so it makes you very conscious all the time of, of the social network that you're in and and it's really optimized towards a sense of, of subjectivity, like always reminding you there is no absolute truth. There is no central source. There's no, it's not like there's a server that ha- holds truth and then distributes it to you. It's like, we've all got a slightly different view on reality. Um, mm-hmm. And then in, in addition to that, that quite familiar social networking, there's also, um, again, quite familiar, like a blogging platform and a, um, a, a GitHub clone, you know, so for, for collaborating on, on working on code projects and, and an increasing number of these um, familiar applications being built on this new technology. And one of the um, artifacts you start to see or the attributes you see from uh, interacting within this new ecosystem is the benefit of an agent-centric web. So instead of, you know, the current web that we're familiar with is document-centric. So it's like you go to a website and you download the documents from it and you interact with it in that way. And it's it's really like location-based. It's all these locations that, that hold data and then you get those documents and you download them. Um, in the Scuttleverse, it's completely agent-centric. All you have are peers and, and peers produce messages. And so one of the ways that manifests when you move from Patchwork, the social media app, to um, TicTac, the blogging app, to uh, Git SSB, the code collaboration app, you don't have to re-identify yourself or re-identify your connections. They all come with you. And so what, one of the amazing things, like if you think about um, what is frustrating about our current world of social networks that are centralized, is they have this this network effect where they they gain monopoly power. Like it's so hard to compete with Facebook because there's this very hard chasm. There's a wall there where you can't take your Facebook connections with you unless unless Facebook allows you to. Whereas in the Scuttleverse, you actually have multiple different applications that have slightly different flavors of the social network and you keep your social graph it comes with you you can go oh, i'm actually i'm not interested in patchbook anymore i want to use this this other one called patchless or like there's all these different variations that have you know different algorithms or different features and and you have the freedom to choose the interface that that makes sense for you and that's quite quite a profound shift and quite a um, step up in in user agency i think so I have a different feeling when I use Scuttlebutt to when I am using Facebook or Instagram or you know any of these corporate social networks, and it's really peculiar and something which I wouldn't necessarily have like been able to predict mm. certainly before I actually booted it up. And so uh, maybe you can just say a little bit about your relationship to social media, what different networks you use, and and, and whether um, you know this this idea of different networks just just simply feeling different mm. is something that, that resonates with you. Totally, that's a really good question. I um, I have, like I said, you know, this trait of um, confidence that borders into arrogance sometimes. Uh, which is also related, you know, there's a whole complex of traits there around egotism and self-aggrandizement and so on. So I, I'm quite a natural fit for social media, you know, for self-promotion. Um, <laughs> uh, um, somewhere, I think it was during the Occupy movement where I was for a while moderating the Occupy Wellington page, so Wellington being the, the city that I'm from. And my, that was a real turning point for me where I went from a polarized defensive argumentative like i'm right you're wrong shut up you're an idiot you know (laughs) to when i had to start (laughs) moderating this page and thinking this is not just me this is also i'm in some way i'm representing this thing called occupy which has these values of inclusion and tolerance and so on 
I, I started to learn a different way of engaging in social media, which is all about like giving people the benefit of the doubt, um, trying to get alongside them and to understand like, where are you coming from? Instead of, instead of um, inflating my sense of rightness by pointing out their wrongness, you know, just going like, what could it possibly be like to be you? Who could this intelligence be that they think this particular outrageous opinion? And, um, and, and, and really start to, I mean, now, now having read the book, I identify it as like a meta modern perspective, you know, like trying to transcend the binaries that are on offer and say like, ah, where are you coming from? What can we learn from each other's difference and, and graduate to some next level, level of understanding that we wouldn't have had if we hadn't encountered that. Um, yeah. so at some point, you know, I mean, the other piece of context is I've always had a ideological critique against Facebook, quite a strong one about yeah. um, the privatization of profit and the socialization of all the effort, you know, that goes into it. It's like the, the, the value exchange there is really off. And I think there's, a, there's major abuses of power. I think, you know, there's, there's lots of things that I don't like about the Facebook business model. Um, but it, sort of around that Occupy time, I think I made a, a commitment, which was like, look, it's really popular to hate Facebook and pe with people of my sort of values, we all are like proud of how Facebook sucks and stuff. And we're so much cooler than, than that. But I made a commitment to be like, look, almost everyone that I know, like all of my friends are here. And if, if you're at a party and all your friends are there and you're having a bad party, like that's kind of your own fault. Like, like if everyone's there, like surely we can do something fun and creative and constructive with it. So I really put a lot of effort for a few years into trying to create a positive experience on Facebook. And it's quite strange, but I would actually have quite a few people would mention to me in person. They would say, Rich, I really appreciate what you're doing on Facebook. You know, like they give me this like strange compliment that, that I'm um, hosting kinds of conversations and bringing insights and drawing in new like sources of news that no one else is paying attention to and so on um i was quite intentionally doing that and then yeah it was like january last year and we were really starting to um pay attention to like well january this year paying attention to the most recent abuses of facebook where it's not just it's not just about ad selling it's now about vote selling you know like where the the algorithms have really made a significant impact on the way that our democracies are functioning. And that to me was just, it was just a bridge too far. And I felt like instead of what I was, I was trying to create a little bubble of positivity within this kind of shopping mall. Uh, I just, I just crossed the line. I was like, look, I feel like I'm actually propping up a really toxic and abusive place. Um, so I pulled out, you know, so, so, I will come in and comment from time to time on Facebook now, but I've just stopped posting altogether, which is a major shift for me. Like it really was, I was putting a lot of energy into there for a long time. Um, mm. And as a consequence, I put a little bit more energy into Twitter just because it's like sometimes, you know, I wear a pretty dress and I want to take a photo and share it with people. And <laughs> Twitter's a good place to do that. Um, but more and more of my energy, yeah, is going into Scuttlebutt because it's constructive, you know, like, it's because it's such a bleeding edge early stage community and 80% of the people that are in the community are working on the technology, you know? So it's like, it's really action oriented. <laughs> yeah. um, and that to me is much more interesting than, than having a space that's like finished and corporate and clean and you just step in and exchange your abstract ideas and opinions with each other. Like it's nice to have an action focus. Yeah. So one feature of Scuttlebutt that I just want to emphasize for, for people listening is that it, uh, it doesn't require the internet. It actually doesn't even require uh, Wi-Fi. That in in principle, you can use Scuttlebutt simply by passing around USB keys worth of social data. Um, if you don't have the internet, if you're on the same Wi-Fi, it will show you a list of users who are uh, on that same uh, network, and you can you know you can actually you know have this kind of social network within simply uh, uh, Wi-Fi range, in, even if you're not connected to the broader internet. Um, 
isn't it? Uh, but so uh, another feature of Scuttlebutt is that you, <laughs> uh, it's based on something like a blockchain, and you can't delete anything. Yeah. Uh, how, how how can you, any thoughts on this? How how does this change the dynamic or or the feeling knowing that you you can't go back and, and remove that kind of uh, that post you made at three a.m. last night when uh, you had had a few beers and maybe you regret in the morning or uh, but but. But actually, it doesn't seem like that. So much of that stuff is is happening. Yeah. Um, uh, people aren't people aren't posting things they regret. So, uh, what, yeah, what's going on there? I I think it is, uh, it's a symptom of the kind of people that are building it. That decision yeah. to make it append only, you know, that there's no delete button. That like, um, for me, like I've I've had conversations with people where I was having a conversation last year with uh, an activist in Madrid. And they pulled out a um, one of those three D cameras and said, "Do you mind if I live stream this to the web?" And I'm like, "Sure." You know, like it, do- it doesn't even um, it doesn't even it wasn't even a question. It's like, "Oh, cool, you've got this thing. I'm happy to to have this recorded for posterity and broadcast to the whole world if people want to watch what we're talking about." Uh, that that comes to me very natural. This idea of of total transparency and and um, so long as I've got the agency to decide what information is being recorded. Like that, that seems to sit very naturally with my values. And it seems like, um, I know that's weird. You know, like I know that we're in the minority people that think that way. Um, yeah. And so you would expect that people writing on Scuttlebutt would be much more circumspect about what they share. But what I find is actually like quite a lot of vulnerability and intimacy and um, people are being really caring with each other. And and maybe what's happening is that the the presence or lack of a delete button is not so important. It's the presence or lack of some kind of creepy corporate or state overlord. You know, like yeah. I just don't want to feed my – I don't want to give Facebook any more of my psychological profile so that they can then target their propaganda to manipulate my behaviors. Like I just don't want to do that. And – Facebook gives me the impression of a delete button, but when I press delete, that just removes it from the screen. It doesn't remove it from the <laughs> database, you know? Like, very good, very good, yeah. <laughs> and and to know that like, I have control over who I'm sharing my information with, and I literally know which computers it's on, you know? like This is the other thing, that Scuttlebutt replaces the cloud or the data center with your friends. Your friends become the data center. And, you know, there's that other line that the, the cloud is just other people's computers. It always has been. But we call it the cloud and we hope that there's some kind of deity looking after it. And to know who's, who those computers are and to have some control over who has access to it, I think, yeah, to me that is much more important than whether or not there's a delete key. Yeah. Interesting. But I should okay. say as well, so I should this- say as well, like, there's plenty of other people that have a very different experience, different set of values, maybe a different body that um, have much greater need for privacy than I do. And and that that yeah. is coming. It's not going to be a delete key, but there's going to be a much greater space for private conversations and Scuttlebutt coming soon. So, so another uh, concern that I had raised, actually a, a workshop on Scuttlebutt in London just a few days ago that I attended, uh, hosted by Kieran, uh, was that what you know what if people put out malicious content or maybe malicious isn't the right word let's let's just go with content that is illegal in your jurisdiction child child pornography for example uh and that that it's then permanently on the you know in the scuttleverse on this on this uh, like blockchain like structure uh if do, do you, have have you heard anything about like, how this the scuttle uh, but communities if thinking of, of dealing with that kind of thing yeah it's like for me i like okay when it comes to because usually the argument starts around around copyright violation you know what if someone shares some copyrighted material that they didn't have rights to and now everyone's hosting a copy of it like at that stage i'm like i just don't care like i'm an yeah, author yeah, yeah. and i'm trying to make a living off writing and i just really flaunt flout copyright left right and center like i just don't care about it i want to live in a commons universe where all information is free so uh, it's it's, yeah. it's not my priority when it comes down to child pornography uh like you've obviously crossed into a line where it's like for me to say i don't care if there's like evidence of abuse on my computer like then i'm some kind of monster um but that it's yeah it's it's like an extremist argument where it's like 
it's just not the highest priority of things to, for me, for things to worry about. Like the high priority is how do we create spaces where people can communicate that are safe and private and have, have these attributes that contribute to good conversation. And if, yeah, if there's, there are, we are going to stumble into these like awkward positions where it's like, ah, shit, what are we going to do about this illegal content on my computer? Like someone's going to have to solve those problems if this is going to go mainstream, but it's so far down the list for me of like, interesting problems to solve yeah it's it it certainly seems to me that um one of my main attractions to scuttlebutt it, it is an exercise in like radical radical vulnerability radical transparency um in it you know with with this idea that nothing can be deleted and, and self-reliance it's, it's yeah, it, 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 it self-reliance too yeah it's it's and it's it's an experiment in all of these things and uh, yeah i think you know neither of us no one's really quite sure how it's all going to turn out but um the fact it feels just the very fact it feels you know experimental and unknown uh is you know is enough to excite me and i think enough uh it could well be enough to excite many people listening to this to get on and, and give it a go and help shape it so uh yeah there's uh, it's pretty easy to to get going there's uh, there's a guide of how to install a patchwork on the scuttlebutt website so check it out um so one final turn now we're speaking for about 50 minutes now um into punk solar punk so this i had i had only i've only come across this term solar punk over the past week so i think it's possible that i kind of re- at least really took notice for it for the first time on uh, on patchwork or you know through on in scuttleverse um so how first i mean i know that you uh you once considered yourself part of the punk scene in New Zealand. Is that true? Yeah, in some yeah. way. So, uh, d- tell me, do you have a do you have a relationship with this term solar punk? What does it mean to you? Yeah. Um, well, first, just punk. You know, to me, is like what I identified there was uh, creativity, and you know, this this very strong ethos of DIY, like self reliance, or a little bit of DIT, do it together. Yeah. Do it with your mates. Um, this 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 um, elevation of amateurism, you know, like that that we're not we're not looking for professionals. We just want to have fun with our friends. Um, and that kind of aesthetic wrapped up in a political critique at the same time. You know, like it's not just um, we're going to play music together or ha- have these parties or whatever. It's also we've got a message. We are. Um, angry mostly about about a lot of what's going on in the world and and we are announcing to the world that we are out you know like we 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 withdraw our consent from this corrupt society or something like that um and and i kind of got a bit fed up with the punk community because it was so anti all the time and there wasn't much at least in my experience of it there wasn't much constructive it was a lot of no and not much yes and and so then occupy comes along and i find my yes blah 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 the solar punk thing, as I understand it, well, first of all, I think the the genesis of it is pretty interesting. Where, as far as I know, it was like basically, you know, like if you're an author, you can write a book, and maybe it's a fantasy book or a sci-fi book or something. Um, this author, instead of writing a book, they just named a genre. They like kind of invented, hey, wouldn't it be cool if there was a genre called solar punk and it had this and this quality? And so it's like instead of just writing one book, they kind of wrote into existence this whole space for <laughs> new books and stories and characters, which yeah. is just awesome to me. Um, but what I, what I get out of it is like punk as in DIY and as in based on a different set of political values from the status quo and solar as in solar panels, you know, like <laughs> we are into self-reliance, but not in a disaster prepper individualistic way in a somewhat communal way. Mm. And it's all going to be solar powered. Like we're we're using we're not primitivists that are like rejecting all technology, but we also have a, a, a strong critique of the current technologies that are common in most um, societies, and saying like we can use a very clever dose of te- the right kind of technology to live in harmony with nature and have a like yeah much much do much less harm to the planet and and have a a more empowered life. You know, like one of the reasons that I love um, I, for a while I was teaching people electronics and, and one of the reasons I love teaching people about electronics is because electronics is so 
that our lives are, are totally wrapped up in electronic interfaces these days. So if, to, to be able to teach someone like how it works and how you can build your own stuff, it's empowering. And it gives you access. It gives you, yeah, an ability to to be a peer in a way that, um, yeah, for me, it's, it's like a really great creative expression to be able to build hardware and to build software. So I think the Solarpunk thing is is um, really about sharing the joy of appropriate technology. You know, <laughs> like teaching people. You know, you can just connect up this solar panel with these wires and that battery and this clip onto that thing, and then suddenly you've got your own, you know, your your house is off the grid and you're living carbon neutral or something like this. You know, like it, it's, it seems to be very excited and 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 optimistic. And yeah, it's it's also like the re, it, it parallels nicely with this idea that scuttlebutt works when the internet is down. You know, that is a very that to me is a very scuttlebutt. Uh, sorry, a very solar punk ethos that that. We're not relying on heavyweight technology. We're using our very lightweight local technology and, and, and they have much more resilience as a result. Yeah. For, for me, an interesting part of it is, is, you know, on the punk part is this sense of, of art, of creativity, of, mm. of, of music. You know, this is something a lot of people, people associate the punk scene with, the music that came out of it. Um, and of, of of collective joy, you might say. Yes. Well, um, I mean, here's an example, right? So so Mix, who's um, he worked with us on Lumio for a long time, and now he's working a lot on Scuttlebutt. He's making a basically like a clone of Doodle, the the calendar scheduling app, mm-hmm. and Scuttlebutt. And as he was designing it out, he's like, you know what? I'm going to make this like really fruity and pink and girly because. I, I want it to like repel any kind of bros that turn up. <laughs> and that to me is like, that is just so punk, you know? <laughs> yeah. So this, um, you, you may be familiar with this, this app that, um, well, I, I built, but had the input of many people from um, this community that I'm involved in the UK called Find the Others. Uh, the app is called Autopo. I think you've maybe taken a bit, a bit of a look of it. And it's designed or it is, its main purpose is for organizing co-created gatherings where yeah. uh it's, so we would we've done about seven of these so far over the past few years in the uk and we we hire a big house and around 150 people uh sign up uh and uh this this platform allows people to suggest workshops and activities and it also helps with actually this idea of like who's uh, who's who's coming who's uh, the the application process um, yeah. and this uh, and you start with a blank timetable and as if by magic by the time the day comes round it's filled up with all sorts of amazing things that are, you know offered by all sorts of amazing people um, it was, you know, this form of gathering is, is very much inspired by uh, the nowhere or nowhere in the borderland, the European Burning Man events. I've never been to Burning Man, incidentally, and don't have any particular desire to go because I think it's it seems to it's, it's taken a particular turn. And um, for me, the more um, interesting stuff is is going on in the kind of you know this sort of second generation of uh, yeah. gatherings inspired by Burning Man itself. Um, and but yeah, I've always had the sense there that it's. It, it's much less important the result of this uh what workshops you get and the, the the quality the content of the workshops is is almost secondary to the to the process of of cre- of co-creation yeah. and working together in yeah. this in this joyful way in this playful way in this exploratory way in this you know non-hierarchical way um uh which which still allows for people to simply like get have good ideas and, and get on with things um and uh, it's, I, I'm delighted to have come across this this term solar punk. It, it, I think it's going. I think we're going to be coming. I think it's going to be used more and more, certainly in the communities that uh, we float around in, um, to to capture something uh, very important. Not only about the the how we organise in going back to the conversation about you know teal and so on, but that that. The, the organizing can or it, it, it can and should feel fun alive optimistic yeah, yeah. Uh, that, yeah. that's yeah. that's that's the solar part for me there's it there's a is it I, I forget who said it there's this quote of, you know if i can't dance i don't want to be part of your revolution totally something about it reminds me of that and uh it's uh, I, it almost gives me the sense that that 
you know, that we're turning a very important corner that that this turn has that this um, this phrase has popped up at this time um, and is, is drawing this level of interest is uh, I think a very good sign. So I'm very curious to see uh, how think, how that all develops over the coming months and years. I think the kind of events that you're describing, where it's co-created and self-organizing, and I think the solar punk thing as well. They they have a. It's kind of like they've solved this dilemma that we seem to have in the West between individuals and collectives. Like, oh, do we look after individuals or do we look after the group? And they're like, no, 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 we're doing both. Like, you can have yeah. you can have an individual DIY, highly autonomous spirit, and you can use the right kind of methods and formulas to bring those together into this amazing expression of of collective intelligence. That's not about reducing all of that complexity down to some boring gray in the middle. You know, like that, that we can actually. Um, yeah, having that lived experience of co-creation and, and collective intelligence is totally profound, I think. Hmm. And, and I'm passionate about drawing more and more people into it, giving people, giving more and more people a taste of that process. And it's for me, it's 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 a, a whole different way of having fun, if you like, of relative to the you know heavily consumptive uh, idea of fun that most people have. That you know, fun is going to the cinema or going and consuming some beers or yeah. going and yeah. you know buying some you know buying some new clothes or whatever it's it's uh and i'm yeah if in my experience anyone who really gets a taste of this, this this new way of enjoying oneself is is very quickly hooked uh it's been a real pleasure to speak to you and it certainly inspired a lot of new thoughts and new ideas in me that i'll, I'll be going away and contemplating and uh, perhaps we'll speak again over the coming uh, weeks and months to to see where we're at with all these projects. Any final thoughts from you? I'm just very grateful to have been introduced to you and, and have this conversation and looking forward to many more in the distant future or the near future. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. All the best. Take care. Cheers, Manny. <laughs>